0: Hi, and welcome to the Kids Yoga Podcast, the place for all things kids yoga. My name is Jessica Mujis, and welcome to the show. This week, I'm joined by Vani Kaur. Vani is a high school English teacher, kids yoga instructor, and activist based in London. She is passionate about education and teaching kids how to manage their emotional well-being in a healthy way. Vani noticed a lack of representation in children's literature and is currently writing her first novel in which the protagonist is a young brown girl. She hopes to engage all types of children who often don't see themselves portrayed in the mainstream. She likes to spend her free time walking and cuddling her golden retriever. Vani, welcome to the show.
1: Hello, thank you so much for having me.
0: I'm thrilled to talk to you we've been kind of going back and forth for the last few weeks and we have like 10,000 things we want to talk about so (laughs) I I think I'm just gonna dive in and just ask you how did you first of all become interested in teaching kids yoga
1: um yes I think that's a really good question there's so much to cover so I'm really excited to get into this um I practiced yoga myself for years before I even thought about teaching kids yoga. And the idea really came about um, when I was just going about my day job being a teacher at a school, and all the teachers had to um, run an extracurricular club. Um, And I'm sure it's similar in the States. Um, A lot of the schools here are underfunded, so it really has to be something that didn't cost very much money um, and was easy to implement. And I've noticed the benefits of yoga um, in my my life uh, by practicing it. So I thought it would be a really interesting idea to take it um, and put it towards the kids. Um, And specifically um, the afternoons of teaching at a school are quite tricky because The kids have been concentrating all morning, Um, you know, they're a bit uh, lethargic after lunch. Um, So I thought it would be a really good club to have um, for lunchtime, basically, to see how it would uh, affect the kids. Um, So that was really my main uh, reason for starting to teach kids yoga.
0: And can you tell me a little bit about your own yoga practice?
1: So my own yoga practice is very varied. Um, Some weeks I really want to have an intense, you know, hour-long practice. Um, Sometimes I just want to give my body, you know, a five or 10-minute stretch. Um, It really depends on my um, emotional and my mental state, to be honest. Um, For example, during lockdown, I found it a little trickier to focus um, on really intense and challenging poses. Um, and I found just really having a good stretch and a wiggle um, in the mornings has made me feel better. So um, yeah, my own practice is very varied.
0: <laughs> yeah, I could totally relate to that. It's And that's part of it. That's yoga, right? Being present yes. with what is.
1: Yeah, and I think um, something that maybe I didn't do before, and I think a lot of people also struggle with this, like just really um, being kind to themselves about their own practice. I think it's really easy to beat yourself up and be like, I you know, could do a handstand every single day last week, and I just can't even get the energy to practice for 15 minutes this week. Um, I think it's important to just be kind to ourselves about what we're doing.
0: Yes, absolutely. And that's not always very clear. On social media when you see things about mm-hmm. yoga. Yes. <laughs> um, so, so I do want to dive into the, the juicy stuff that we want to talk about. And I saw you um, were interviewed recently um, speaking about cultural appropriation in yoga and in wellness. So I was wondering if you can kind of um, talk about what cultural appropriation is and how you see it show up in Western yoga and how you see it show up in kids' yoga?
1: Yes, of course. So um, cultural appropriation, I believe, is when you have someone coming from a typically privileged position, taking an idea or a concept from another culture that they don't belong to and using it for personal gain um, and also profit without giving the correct credit to the culture in question. Usually, the culture in question has been uh, um, oppressed um, and they're historically marginalized. So this adds another layer to the conversation around cultural appropriation. Um, It's not specific to one industry. I mean, of course, it happens in the wellness industry, but it also happens in media, in fashion, in food. So it's definitely something that is super important to be aware of uh, and to discuss. So I see it in Western yoga so much. Um, There has definitely been a trend here, and I'm sure sure it's similar worldwide, um, of quite fancy studios being very uh, one-dimensional in their instructors, and in the people who go there. So over here, most of the people that you see would be white, slim, able-bodied, middle-class people practicing and teaching yoga. And I feel like that is wrong because yoga is supposed to be for everyone. So it shouldn't have this one-dimensional face to the world at the moment.
0: Yeah, and the image of yoga for so many people is exactly what you're saying, and it's just, it's, it's incorrect. That's not at all <laughs> where yoga started.
1: Exactly. Who it's for. Yeah. Exactly. It it is incorrect, and I think, um, especially with kids yoga, we need to be really careful about um, not continuing this image, like we have to be careful that we're not perpetuating this idea that it is only for this specific type of person. Um, and I just wanted, want to be clear that I don't think only Indian people should be practicing yoga and teaching yoga. That's not the case at all. Um, of course, it has come from India, um, but culture is supposed to be appreciated and shared, um, but not completely stolen and written written all over.
0: Yeah, when you the way you describe it, it just reminds me so much of the idea of just plagiarism. Like when we went to school, <laughs> it's as if if you just took someone's writing and you said it was your own, and you gave no credit, no citation. Um, yeah,
1: I, mean, it, I think it, it, that's a really good way to put it. It is really like it is like plagiarism because the idea is just being completely ripped out of context which is also a problem, um, and kind of repackaged in, in a way that is um, marketable to really white people and not right. any people.
0: Well, what do you think we can do as kids' yoga teachers specifically to respect the the roots of yoga?
1: So I really love this question because I feel like there's so much – to answer about it so firstly I think we have to as teachers acknowledge that there is a problem because without acknowledging that there is something wrong there's no way we can move forward um, so I think first things first is let's all really understand that the cultural appropriation of yoga is very real and prevalent it's not something that people are just kind of you know complaining about for no reason uh, secondly, I think we have to realize that children are not, um, they're not stupid and we don't need to dumb things down for them. Kids are really like sponges. They soak in everything around them. Um, their job really is to to learn. Uh, they're learning all the time at home and at school. So I think It's important that we don't just try and kind of, of course, we should make it fun. Of course, we should make the yoga fun and relatable to them. But we also have to tell them the truth about it. Um, You know, whether that's you spending a couple of minutes at the beginning of your class just explaining, um, you know, yoga is something that has come from India, that's where it originated. And then, um, you know, then it was brought to the rest of the world. So we should, um, you know, really be thankful to, you know, that country for, for giving us the yoga and for allowing us to uh, practice it. Um, I think we can use Sanskrit words um, when we're teaching, because, again, I think a lot of the time we just think, oh, you know, children can't handle it. It's going to be too confusing and you know, they're just they're not going to understand what's going on. But it's up to us as teachers to make sure that they do understand. Um, because one of the things about the, uh, the language in yoga is the poses in English are not a direct translation of the Sanskrit words. So, for example, Adho Mukha Savasana is not a um, Sanskrit translation of downward facing dot so there is a problem here when we don't try and understand the real roots and history of yoga
0: right and then depending on the age group of the children you're working with Mm -hmm. you can can work that in more or less you know or Yeah, Um, right. Using the Sanskrit or um, I mean, but no matter what the age, Mm -hmm. absolutely, we we can start by saying it comes from India and that's another country. It's just, you know, start at the the basics.
1: Exactly. I think just you can keep it, you know, whether you're teaching um, a three-year-old or, a you know, 15, 16-year-old, they are aware that other countries exist. So You should be uh, really trying to at least give them a little bit of the, um, you know, of the background because it that will make their practice better. It will make you a better teacher because it's likely that you'll also be learning alongside with them. Um, And especially for the older kids. um, And this is something I actually recently posted about on my Instagram. And I had a lot of messages from people who had no idea that this, this story was even a part of yoga. Um, so is it okay if I just share that with
0: you? Yes, please.
1: So um, so the idea of yoga did come from India and meditation also. Uh, there is a Hindu god called Shiva and he actually uh, invented yoga and he, um, he found it. He thought it was something that was very personal and he actually didn't want to share it with anyone else. He wanted to keep it for him. um, And he actually invented basically every single yoga pose that we see um, and that we practice today. Um, So he is actually the the God of um, yoga, meditation, and the arts. And he was married to Bharati, who was a goddess. And she encouraged him to share this concept of yoga and meditation with the world. So without her and him, there would be no yoga. And I just think um, stories like that, that was obviously a very simplified version. I mean, anyone can go away and Google it and you know, lots more detail comes up. Stories like that are completely missing from... Um, Westernized yoga culture, but I do feel like kids would be interested in that story um, because, yeah, there is so many kind of factors that contribute to it. I
0: I think you had shared that story on the video I saw of you being interviewed, and yes. I was like, I was like, what? Yeah, I, did. I honestly, and I have to say, I I had never, I hadn't heard that, and I'm trained in yoga, mm-hmm. and I've been practicing mm-hmm. yoga. Um, for you know over 12 years so yeah like that that and kids would love that story yeah it's
1: so interesting and there's so many kinds of um of course that was a a very brief story about that but there's so many um other kind of parts to that story which they would be interested in um and also that I'm interested in I'm sure other teachers would be interested in too so yeah I think we have to make sure we are doing right by the kids that we're teaching. So, you know, we can give them a really well-rounded view of yoga.
0: And I do think as kids yoga teachers, we have that unique opportunity where we, we can start there. And <laughs> they don't, kids hopefully don't have that, this image that we're talking about of yoga yet. And we can start them yeah. with the truth.
1: Of course, like a hundred percent. I agree with that. I am. So I think if we really tackle it from young kids, hopefully by the time they grow up and whether they go into the yoga field um, as teachers or students, uh, they can really kind of try to reverse some of this uh, damage that has been done in terms of the image of yoga.
0: Yes, absolutely. Okay, we could talk about that a whole episode, but I'm going to move on to our other another topic. Um, so you had told me when you wrote to me that you also teach children about anti-racism. Mm-hmm. So I know people would be really fascinated to hear, how do you approach this topic with children?
1: So, yes, thank you for asking me that question, because I think it's so uh, such a prevalent topic at the moment um, with everything that's going on worldwide um, around the subject of racism. So I think I said something similar in in the last question about children not being stupid. (laughs) And again, I think with the anti-racism thing, sometimes parents and teachers really worry and they're so stressed about um, bringing up this topic to children, about them being too young and it's just too confusing and, you know just let's just ignore it altogether. Um, That's not the right way to go. Um, And I actually found these facts which I really thought was so shocking. Um, So I'm just gonna read them actually. So from the age of two, most children use race to choose playmates. Um, And from the age of three, children have worked out how to use bias um, in society, uh, and they show signs of pro-white and anti-black, and by the age of five, um, racial prejudice in children has peaked, and they have learned to associate certain groups with higher statuses than others just by what they've been seeing around them. So like who uh, they see at the doctor's office, who they see uh, delivering their mail, um, who they see teaching at school and things like that. So I hope those facts really um, show everyone who's listening that your child is not too young to start talking about race because they start receiving implicit and explicit bias literally from birth. So it is really important that we start talking about it as soon as possible.
0: Um yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean those I have heard those facts but just to hear them again I'm just mm-hmm. it's it's it is shocking it's, but it yeah. it it shows that they are taking in as we know as that we work with children they take in everything so it would make complete sense that they're taking in all of these messages. Yeah,
1: it's it is shocking and yeah, I, I've heard them before, but every time I read them or see them written down, um, I, I feel shocked all over again. Um, so one of the things I just want to touch on is the kind of colorblind approach, like, you know, oh, I, I don't see color and I'm, I'm teaching my kids not to see color. Um, while I don't think people um, mean that in, an, in a really harmful way, it can be damaging because by not seeing color, colour, you're not seeing any of the history, any of the oppression that has come along with with different skin tones, and you're not um, acknowledging anything current in society that might be making their lives more difficult. Um, So I think that's one thing that people maybe unintentionally are doing um, in the wrong way. Um, Another thing is just having the conversations about racism. Now, of course, you will have to, you know, adjust the way and how often you are talking to your children about this. Um, I'm not saying you should be talking to your four-year-old daily about, you know, the the murder of George Floyd, for example. I think pick one topic, explain it in a way that they understand um, and see how they process it um you know your child more than anyone so if they feel if they seem like they're you know particularly stressed about it um then you know you'll have to obviously approach it again um and, and adjust your approach but you have to talk about it the conversations are so crucial and if parents are not having them at home then your child's idea about race and the world is just going to be determined by what's out there. And I'm not sure that is the only influence you would want to, um, would want your child to have.
0: Right. And it could be, I'm learning, it could be as simple as when your children are younger, um, diversifying your library of books, your toys, talking about skin color and saying, you know, just... It's so that it's not this subject that like, oh, we don't talk about that because they'll get that message. Yeah,
1: I 100% agree. So that's definitely something that I, so I don't have children yet, um, but obviously I work with children and I have a lot of children in my family. And whenever it comes to, you know, gifts and things like that, I make a conscious effort to, um, one, I actually love giving books as gifts because I'm an English teacher and I'm obsessed with books. Um, but I always try and get ones with, um, by, you know, uh, Black or Asian authors, um, you know, and so really making sure the representation is there in their homes. And, you know, even with, um, you know, dolls and things like that, it, it, it is difficult to find ones that are not white, um, but they are out there. And so, yeah, really making sure uh, the kind of toys and everything in your home um, are not just kind of not not just like oh I don't have a white doll so I'm not getting anything uh, you know go and find the ones that represent your child and also um, I think it's really important so this isn't just something that you know brown and black people should be doing um, for their kids you know white parents need to be doing this too um, so that they can see you know so they can play with these things and they can learn these stories as well so I think it's really important to do that, um, and another thing. Um, I, I really like how you said, you know, that we should point, you know, point out and talk about color and just not ignore it. Um, so, if you're watching something on television um, or, or a movie or something like that, and you do see a racist stereotype, um, then point it out. Um, there's no harm in doing that, and actually, you will be doing your children um, a lot of good by saying, um, actually you know um that that particular so for example if it was the simpsons and obviously Apu is in the simpsons um you, if you're watching that with your child maybe you should be pointing out you know what not all indian people run a corner shop you know <laughs> so that's just one really example a really you know simple example um, and i'm sure there's many more uh, in in tv um, and on screen in general um And I think if you can find things, um, you know, find specific children's program and literature. I do have a whole list actually on my Instagram of uh, really interesting children's books around uh, black and brown characters. Um, But one thing that my nieces used to be like obsessed with when they were younger was Doc McStuffins. I don't know if your children watch that. Oh, yes, yes. (laughs) Um, And it just really struck me the first time I saw, saw it. Because I was like, I don't think I've ever seen uh, a children's, I think, I believe it's Disney cartoon um, that features a black family who are well off. Um, The mother is a professional. She's a doctor, which is why uh, Doc McSuffins comes in. Um, And I just thought this is such a good um, thing for them to be watching and taking it. Um, so I'm sure there there are lots more like that, but we definitely need more representation in children's literature, arts, um, and toys.
0: Absolutely. For people listening that might want to actively work on being anti-racist, but aren't quite sure where to start, do you have any um, words of advice?
1: Yes, yeah, so I think The positive thing is there are loads of things that we can do at the moment um, to be anti-racist so um definitely take a look at your toys and your books um or whatever it is that your child uses the most I think those are probably quite common ones um and you know have a look at them are you including black and brown authors um do you have um you know, coloring books um, that are all filled with white faces, for example, like if you're sitting there with your child working on a, you know, coloring book, or you're drawing writing a story or something like that, um, maybe instead of going for the peach color for skin, you know, can you pick up a brown color? Uh, I think these are really small, small changes that we can all make. um, And it's likely that we've just been, you know, just conditioned to pick up a peach coloring pencil instead of a brown or black one. Um, But by you doing that, your child will be learning that not all characters need to be colored in peach. So not all people in the world are going to be peach, but they are equally deserving of respect.
0: Yes, it's so many, just the subtle things we do, and it starts with us doing our own work so that we are more aware.
1: Yeah, and, um, and I don't think anyone is beyond learning. Um, I'm not, like, the most up-to-date person on any topic to do with racism. Like, I'm doing my own work, too, and, um, and I think it's important that we don't just think, right, well, I've posted a black square in june so like i'm not racist and uh, that's enough it's not enough um and i don't know if it's a good or a bad thing but nothing will ever be enough like this is a ongoing thing that we have to do we have to carry on learning um and i think the internet's a really good resource there's so many free things available online amazing um you know um, instagram accounts to follow um, where people are really putting in so much of their free time to try and educate us so i think we should be grateful and we should be using them um but please don't kind of flood the inboxes of anyone who is doing this because this work is tiring and it's draining um and i think we should just accept what is being put out there uh, and try and do the work ourselves
0: yeah, I totally agree. And there's always Google if you have a question <laughs> um, rather than writing to someone who's already putting in so much work for yeah. free. Um, Google it.
1: Yes, for sure. And also, um, maybe ask your friends then. You, you don't have to ask someone online. Maybe you ask your you know brown friend or your black friend a question if they are up for talking about it with you. Um, and if you don't have any of those types of friends, then you should look to diversify your social network because that is another thing that children are going to pick up on no matter how much, um, talk of anti-racism you have in your home. If they only see you socializing with people who look like you, um, who come from, you know, a very similar background, who do similar jobs, um, they are not going to be seeing this anti-racism work put into practice. Um, so I think without you diversifying, uh, you know, their exposure and your exposure to all types of people, um, you know, simply doing the anti-racism work at home is not going to be enough.
0: Right. They, they learn by who we are in the world, not what we're saying.
1: Yeah, so, completely. Exactly. Yeah, definitely.
0: <laughs> okay. So our next big topic that I really wanted to talk to you about is... Um, the wellness industry and specifically the pressures that it puts on women to look a certain way, we kind of touched on this when we we talked about um, Western yoga, but um, I really find it highly problematic the messages and the images that I, I see on a daily basis. Um, I think it's obviously it's affecting adults but it it worries me more how it's affecting children who are consuming these messages so. How do you think we can work to change the wellness industry from the inside out so that it includes everybody?
1: Yes. So this is something I find so problematic. And I know you posted something about it recently. That's what led to us talking about this. Um, And yeah, it's something that is just, um, it's awful, really, um, the way that, Weight is talked about um, in the wellness industry and in the media. Um, I had recently a six-year-old um, ask how many calories we would be burning in a yoga class.
0: Um, oh wow!
1: And this is—I never talk about weight. I never mention calories. I never uh, even use that kind of language in any of my classes. Um, but of course, like you know children pick up on different things at home and and from in the media and things like that so I was firstly I was really upset because six is no age to be worrying about um weight (laughs) and um so I it really made me kind of um I actually addressed like I addressed it with the whole class we had a really open discussion about people's reasons for exercising um, and I kind of went around and asked everyone how they felt when they exercise rather than you know uh, focusing on on how they want to look um, so I think it's important to talk to children about how they feel all the time something I do at the beginning of every single class I always ask them how they feel um, and why they think they feel like that so um, you know Are they tired because they woke up really early? Um, You know, are they happy because it's the weekend and and they're going to do something really fun? Um, So just those simple things. I think it's really important to to get them in touch with their feelings and being able to express their feelings. Um, In terms of the way that women should look, um, the the concept of this is actually mind-blowing. Because men are rarely told they should be looking a certain way, Um, because you know traditionally they were the ones to be going to work and bringing home the money and so on and so on. So it didn't really matter how they looked. Uh, But now, obviously, as society has advanced and moved forward, women are working, (laughs) women are earning. But for some reason, it doesn't really matter because even if you have the best job in the world and you're making all the money in the world um if you're you know too skinny or too fat or whatever um you know don't dress very well that's going to be the only thing that people focus on and it's so sad um that that's still in 2020 we're so concerned about people's weight and And especially after this lockdown, I've seen so many adverts and programs and Instagram diets uh, to tackle the pounds that women have put on in lockdown. And it's just, it's disgusting that we can't. It really
0: is. It really is (laughs) upsetting.
1: It's disgusting that we can't just let people live and try and get through a global pandemic alive without you know making them shrink themselves (laughs) like yeah it's it's so nuanced this concept of um, weight in relation to women Um, and I think when it um, when it comes to children we have to be so careful of all the messages that they're seeing so you might be cooking really um, you know good meals for your kids and you might be you know doing all the right things and saying, you know, um, not focusing on weight and calories um, with them, which is great. But if you are not sitting down and eating a regular meal, uh, whether it's with them or without them, they are they are going to pick up on that. If, if you weigh yourself every morning and every night, uh, and you don't weigh your children, which I do not encourage anyone to do that um, – they will still see you doing those things. Um, so I think, again, this is something that parents and teachers really just miss a lot of the time. Like they, I actually had a parent say to me that she was really concerned about her daughter because her daughter, uh, was nine and started weighing herself every day. So I did ask this parent, I was like, well, where are your scales? Um, for example. And um, she said, oh, they're in the bathroom and I weigh myself in the morning uh, while my daughter's brushing my teeth. So while this parent was not intentionally doing anything to, you know, criticize her daughter's weight or, or talk about it with her, if your child sees you weighing yourself every day when they're brushing their teeth, um, your ch- it's likely that your child wants to be just like you in every way, you know, good ways and the bad ways. Um they're going to wonder, like, you know, shouldn't I be weighing myself too? Shouldn't I be focusing on what I'm eating and my weight as well? So I think the work starts at home. Really be aware of what you are exposing your children to in the background um, as well as in, in the forefront. Um,
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's it's funny. So the theme I'm seeing in everything we're talking about, and these are all very important topics is that it starts with yourself mm-hmm. and how you are doing the work yourself on all of these messages that are ingrained in us from when we were children. So we have to unlearn yeah, in order for our children. And, and that's my hope with, with kids yoga is that we can help children start off on a clearer foot where they, they're not bombarded by these very problematic messages all around them.
1: Uh, uh, yeah, 100%, I agree with you. Um, we really have some some clean slates here uh, that we should be utilizing so we can um, make the children that we have influence over the best they can be, um, and hopefully they will go on to contribute to society in a, in a better way than we could have. Uh, because, yeah, like you said, we have a lot of um, learning to do as well, um and I do think the scales having bathroom scales is such um a dangerous thing um for children of any age
0: mm. that's definitely true <laughs> yeah
1: sorry I actually don't think I answered your question about how we can work to change the wellness
0: <laughs> oh right yes let's do that <laughs>
1: yeah um so how we can do the thing with the wellness industry is it is so huge um and I think people often feel like you know but who am I to like say anything and you know what can I do I think this is a mistake your voice matters no matter if you are not on social media or if you have you know a million followers it doesn't matter who you are Your voice matters. You don't have to be an influencer to have influence over anyone. Um, So just have these conversations. Um, Talk about, you know, maybe um, the representation of just and diversity of wellness brands. Like even if you're having these conversations with your friends and with your family, um, just make sure you're talking about it so so we can be aware that you know um what we normally see to do with the wellness industry is slim people um it is able-bodied people the fact is our society is fat phobic um and again just don't shy away from that um I think people are really scared sometimes of uh saying the word fat and like oh my gosh like you know that is just not a word we can say like out the world our society the media loves to fat shame people because it is fat phobic so the only way to come away from that is to acknowledge it and address it
0: just yesterday my daughter was watching a a movie and one of the characters was fat and she, she's four, she was like, mommy, why is she fat? And I said, oh, well, everyone has a different kind of body and some people are fat. Some people are skinny and some people are tall. And it was just like, she's asking. Yeah. And when, like, especially in those moments when they're asking those questions to be able to just answer them and not say like, oh no, you know, not uh, shame them or something. Like we don't talk about that.
1: Yeah, exactly. And I think um, what you did was so correct. And um, I think, um, Yeah, this definitely is a theme to a lot of my answers. I think, like, a lot of parents, teachers, they're they're scared to to say, like, okay, yes, you know, that is a different type of body. Um, And also, I think we need to definitely be aware of the fact that if you are someone in a larger body, your job is not to work on yourself, quote, unquote, until you are slim. Like, that's not... The being slim is not the end goal for every single person in the world (laughs) right um so yeah I think it's really important so when we see it um and especially if your kids are asking questions talk about it um and make them see that you know different um body types is not a bad thing and also the I saw um a post about this last week, I think it was on the iWeigh account, uh, which is Jamila Jamil's account, which is so amazing. Um, And and it talks so much about about this um, kind of uh, body and weight things in in the industry. Um, And it said, I think I'm paraphrasing here, but it says something along the lines of, if everyone ate the same food and if everyone did the same exercise, we would still all, all look different. Um, And I think that's such a nice message and vital message actually for um, everyone to hear of all ages. Like we're we're never all going to look the same. And it's it's really important that we make this clear to women and to men that there is no one way of looking well.
0: Right. It it goes back to what you said about what you say to the kids? How are you feeling? That that's the important part here.
1: Yeah, and I think unfortunately we do have so much kind of just inherent bias about these things, um and we should recognize it.
0: Yes. Well, I could talk about this all day too, but <laughs> I, I do. <laughs> We're recording early in the morning. I. Got to get my kids' day started. But I do still want to um, touch on your kids' yoga business that you have. It's Yoga Bunnies.
1: Yes, it's Yoga Bunnies.
0: Can you just tell me a little bit about that and and why you started it?
1: Sure, yeah. So I actually started it after I began teaching um, the students in my own school um, because I just thought, like, it actually was having such a good impact on them. Um, I could see the changes, I could see that they, you know, were becoming more in tune with their kind of emotional well being, um, and their feelings and things like that. So I was like, I, I really wanted to bring it to more people. Um, so I initially started it actually, as a story yoga session. So we would tell stories, for example, the three little pigs, um, and for obviously for younger kids, and we would act it out using yoga poses, which was so fun. Um, and I really loved doing those kinds of things. And then it kind of slowly evolved into more, um, more specific yoga sessions, you know, with all the poses, uh, with the techniques, with the Surya Namaskar, which is the sun salutations. Um, so yeah, I offer really a range of classes. I, um, do workshops at different schools um I teach at some studios um I do home classes and things like that I also do children's yoga parties which is just one of my favorite things to do ever because we play loads of games but we put a yoga twist on them Uh, so for example we play um like duck duck goose but we do it with butterfly pose and downward dog pose and things like that so it's it's so fun um I just I I love it.
0: <laughs> yeah, it sounds adorable. And I've seen pictures on your Instagram of your classes, so they just look super cute.
1: They're so uh, cute. They're just kids are just amazing at yoga. They're so flexible. They're not scared of like looking really silly. That it's just amazing to watch them learn and grow.
0: Absolutely, it's it's almost therapeutic sometimes to teach because you leave feeling like so much lighter because they they kind of transfer that to you.
1: Yeah, and it's funny that you say that because I teach um, English like Monday to Friday at at school and and I I normally have my kids yoga sessions at the weekend. Um, So I have starting from Saturday morning and that is the Saturday morning class is my favorite time of the week because it's only 45 minutes to an hour long. But I feel so good afterwards because the energy, the vibe that comes from the kids, um, that the feedback you get, it's just one of the best feelings, I think. They're so happy to be there. They're so glad that you're with them. And they're so appreciative um, and keen to learn.
0: Yes. Just very energizing um, on all levels.
1: Mm-hmm. Definitely.
0: <laughs> So I always like to um, end with little kids yoga gems. So for you, if you can offer one piece of advice to someone that is new to kids yoga, what would it be?
1: My advice for anyone who is looking to approach kids yoga is to definitely remember that they are children. So don't expect them to behave the same way as adults would in a class but also recognize that they have very big brains and they are able to learn. So you don't need to uh, kind of dumb anything down for them, teach them um, about the history of it and definitely have so much fun with them. Also, one of the things is that they, of course, they're learning from you, but... Don't get too caught up in in your teaching that you forget to learn things from them because one thing that I just love about teaching kids yoga is you might not think that you're going to get anything from them. You might not feel like you're going to learn anything from them, but they they really teach you so much because they are absolutely fearless in their own practice. And I think as adults, uh, we have a lot A lot to learn from them too
0: absolutely they are our greatest teachers it's definitely it goes both ways
1: yeah like they're not scared to fall over they're not scared to try a handstand and like look silly they're not they're not worried very much about um other people's opinions um so I think that's something that we can take beyond the yoga studio um, and just carry with us in life.
0: Yes. Well, I know people are going to want to find you and to learn more about all the amazing work you're doing. So where can people find you?
1: Sure. Yes. So I am on Instagram at varni.kc. So that's A N I dot K-C. Um, I'm always posting about kids' yoga, um, things to do with culture, and I also post lots of book recommendations, so um, you can find me on there. I'm currently writing my first novel. It's a children's book, um, which hopefully should be coming out next year, Uh, so you can follow me on Instagram for any updates on that, too.
0: Thank you so much. Thank you for taking the time and for diving into all these um very important places with me and I kind of hope you can come back and we can maybe do I feel like we could do one episode on each of these topics
1: there's so much to say about all of these things Um, I would love to come back thank you so so much for having me
0: thank you and I will talk to you soon and take care
1: thank you bye
0: bye Thanks for listening to this week's episode. I did want to add a little bit. After Vani and I had stopped recording, she told me more about her new book, and I wanted to tell you guys more about it. And here's a little bit that she wrote. Vani said, I noticed a huge lack of representation in children's literature from a young age because I was an avid reader. When I began teaching English literature, I noticed this was something that made it difficult for students to relate to the material. It ultimately impacted their performance and grades, which was not a reflection of their abilities. Alongside this, the inability for minorities to see characters who are like them, exploring different roles in society through books, not seeing authors and illustrators who have names like theirs, does limit their imagination of what they can grow up to be. I am currently writing my first novel in which the protagonist is a young brown girl. I hope to engage all types of readers, especially ones who don't traditionally see themselves in books. I think now is the right time where people are wanting to diversify their bookshelves. So if anyone is interested in publishing a new type of exciting children's book, please get in touch. So everyone, um, if you know anyone in publishing, if you're in publishing, please get in touch with Vani. Her Instagram is k c, or you can email me, thekidsyogapodcast at gmail.com and I will connect you. Thanks for being here. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode or if you've listened before, there are a few ways that you can help this podcast to keep going. So first you can click subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts. You can leave a rating and a review. This will help more people find the podcast. You can follow us on social media at the kids yoga podcast on Instagram and the Kids Yoga Podcast on Facebook. You can also email me. I love to hear your questions, comments, feedback. The Thekidsyogapodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for being here, and we'll see you next week.